How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall soon see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he is pure. This is the word of our Lord. Thank you guys for making this a, a great service. You've done a great job. appreciate that. A number of years ago, I was in Ghana uh, visiting some of our missionaries that some of you know well, David and Brenda Mensa. And as I was introduced to uh, a number of people um, at that particular location, it began to dawn on me that everyone's name was a biblical name. There was Samson. There was Peter. There was John. There was James. There was Elijah. And the list went on. And I thought to myself, wow, that's interesting. All these people have biblical names. And I wondered why, but I didn't ask. And then it dawned on me. Near the end of the week, we had a baptism. The baptism was in the Black Volta River. And as each person went in to be baptized, David Mensa would ask them, so what have you chosen for your Christian name in baptism? Every one of them would give a name, some biblical name. And the reason they did that is because they were identifying with the family of God. They were in effect saying, when I go into these waters and come out, I want to declare myself a believer and a member of the family of God. And that's the way they did it. And I thought to myself, how beautiful. We don't do that here, but they do. Of course, they have a tribal name that was given to them by their family. But in the context of fellowship and worship in the church, they use their biblical baptism name. We've been talking about images of the church for the last few weeks. We began by talking about an image that you don't think of as the church, but an image that's associated with the church, and it was, it was rock or foundation. On this rock, says Jesus to Peter, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We talked about the church as a lampstand, looking at the book of Revelation and the seven churches introduced there. We talked about the church as a body, remembering 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12, the body of Christ. And we talked about the church as a vineyard, that is, God's vineyard. And we used the words of Jesus in John, that he was the vine and we are the branches. Today, I want to talk about the church as family. The church as family. But before I talk about family and the idea of family, I want to give you a bit of a background, a context on this book from the reading you just heard. So this book is written by the Apostle John. The Apostle John wrote a much larger book, namely the Gospel of John. And then he wrote three letters 
1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And it's clear, even without doing background history on this particular era, you can tell that there's some issues going on for John's church. That's why he's writing them a letter. As a matter of fact, it seems like there's some serious problems within, and there's some serious problems on the outside. That's why he speaks about the world and not being known by the world, because they were aliens and foreigners, and probably under a significant amount of persecution. But the other thing he talks about is heresies. Or issues in the church, people have gone astray and they're, they're believing the wrong thing. And John is really calling them out for that. So there were problems in this church. As a matter of fact, uh, in spite of all the problems and in spite of all the admonition that John gives, he gives all of it. If you ever take a look at John, 1 John 2nd and 3rd, and just read through it quickly. What you'll notice is he gives admonition to the people as if he were their father. He calls them dear children. Repeatedly, he calls them dear children. As if he's a father figure in their life, and he was. It's familial language, right? It's about a family. There's only five chapters in 1 John. There are no chapters in 2nd and 3rd John. That's how short they are. There's only five chapters in 1 John. And by the time the apostle gets to chapter 3, we hear these words. It's the opening of chapter 3. And what I think is fascinating about it is this. Maybe other people don't see it this way. But I see John is writing. He's writing down these words. He's trying to communicate issues. He's going to say a lot more. But by the time he gets to what we call chapter 3, he just bursts forth. And he says, in effect, may I paraphrase? This, dear friends, dear children, this is amazing. Think about it. How great the love of God is that he should call us his children. Stop a minute, he says. Think about it. This is the God of the universe, the creator of all things, the one who is absolutely invisible and beyond our reach. That one loves us so much that he calls us children. Maybe it's something we forget because we frequently use language that relates to family we say things like god our heavenly father and maybe in the repetition we forget but john doesn't allow us to forget in that moment he says this is the most amazing thing ever now when it comes to the image of family which we're about to explore for the next few minutes i want to acknowledge something the image of family does not appear in a long singular passage in the Bible. Like 1 Corinthians 12 or Romans 12. That's a long singular passage about the body. And Paul develops the body image. He talks about hands and feet and head and everything, right? He he uses the body to unpack this image as it relates to the church. That's not so when it comes to family. We don't have a long exposition on what family means. What we do have, though, and this is just as significant, is all over the New Testament, there's references 
to family. As a matter of fact, you know Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer, if you want to pray properly, pray this way, our Father which art in heaven. Paul uses on at least two different occasions a description of Father, and he uses the word Abba, Father, which in effect is what a child calls his Father. You could use the word Daddy. Paul says that's our relationship with God. And then in almost every single epistle, the writer of the epistle addresses at some point the people he's writing to as brothers and sisters. That's all family language. And it's everywhere in the Scripture. I love especially the phrase, household of faith. You'll find that in in several different places, but especially Galatians 6.10. I should tell you, household of faith is the the translation of the, of the phrase from the King James. And every once in a while, I think the King James has just got it better than any other translation. I like the image, household of faith. So there's these allusions to family all over the Bible when it comes to the church. But what are the implications of family? Not only here and in other places, what are those implications? What does it mean to be a part of the family of God. What does it mean to be a part of a family? I think the first thing it means to be a part of a family is that all families have stories, right? You know that. Your family has stories. Everybody's family has stories. All families have stories. I don't know why, but the guy to the right in that picture reminds me of Matt Wooden. Don't you think so? We had a picture in our house growing up that was painted by Norman Rockwell. You probably know the picture, right? You've probably seen it somewhere. It's a picture of a family all gathered around, young and old, and a huge turkey in the middle. And they're all gathered together. Every family's got a story. What's your family's stories? Just think about it. Which ones do you tell when you get together? I will tell you that at this stage of our life, part of the fun of family stories is when we have a new member in our family, like my daughter-in-law, or somebody that might eventually be a member of our family, like my daughter's boyfriend. Whenever they get together with us, Brenda and I can't hardly keep down the stories. We want to tell them embarrassing stories about our children right? That's just part of the routine. We can't wait to tell them about a story when our kid was in 10th grade or in 4th grade or whatever. You you have stories. They define who you are, don't they? Everything about you is defined by stories. You got that crazy uncle. Thank goodness for that crazy uncle because he really contributes to a lot of stories. And when you think of the family of God, their stories. As a matter of fact, John opens his epistle that way, just like he does with his gospel. And the story is, I want you to know that I and the other apostles saw all these things happen. These stories we're telling you, we didn't make them up. It's real history. That's the way he opens 
the great gospel and this first epistle. What we have seen, we report to you. We want you to know those stories. Families don't just have stories. Families have different life stages, don't they? Um, I have to admit, it's one of the things I love about ECC. Not, not every church, you probably know this, has multiple life stages represented in every worship service. Some churches are pretty much young people. And some of them are in our town. There's no what I would call silver hairs there. right? Some people are primarily older folks in the church and there's not really any young. Some people, like us, have the wonderful mosaic of every single layer or stage of life in it. And I love it. In the second service, we're going to dedicate a baby. That baby has parents who came here as college students, and I had the opportunity to marry them. Some of the people who were on this stage this morning, the first one that comes to mind is, is Will Campbell. They were hardly here when I arrived. They were born as I was pastor. They were dedicated by me. And frequently I get to, to marry some of them and their spouse. I love watching the stages of life in the family of God. We've got children. We've got youth, like you saw this morning, and, and they're all out there doing other things, and you don't see them all. And, and many of those young people actually were children in our church, and they went through the children's program, and they went to camp, Camp Olivet, as little children. And now you know what they're going to be doing? They're going to be serving the children as camp counselors, junior high and high school. It's a stage of life in the family of God. And then we have younger adults, college students, which are all around us, young families with children. Some people get a little uncomfortable with the summer where we rotate our musical styles and we have all the kids except for the tiny little ones in the service with us. I don't get uncomfortable with it. I love it. I love seeing the kids. Actually, don't tell your kids this so they will act out. I like hearing them even when they say and do inappropriate things. Even when a baby cries and needs to be taken out, it gives me delight. I'm telling you the truth. I love it. I love the stages of the family. And then, of course, in this church, we have the older adults. I keep resisting calling myself one of the older adults, but I now have my AARP card, so I am. I mean, you get discounts with that thing. Um, and, and what happens with older adults? They bring perspective and they bring wisdom to the body of Christ, to this family of faith, this household of faith. On the way in, um, these two fellows didn't know I heard them. But one person saddled up alongside the other and said to his friend, by the way, both of them were old, 
um, said to his friend, hey brother, I need a little wisdom. I don't know what the wisdom was about or what the question was, but I kept on walking. And the other brother said to him, I already gave all mine away. <laughs> the, the, the point is this, we share wisdom, right? Um, if, you're, if you're a young person, I wish you could see the importance of being together with an extended family. Borrow on their wisdom. So all families have a story and all families have different life stages, but you know what? Dysfunctional families are normal. Now I know most of you grandmothers don't want to believe that, or mothers or fathers, but it's true. We're all dysfunctional in some way. And if you want to claim you're not dysfunctional, if you want to claim you're not dysfunctional, don't say it out loud when I'm standing by because I know a lot of your stories and I'll tell the truth. <laughs> We're all dysfunctional. We all have our issues. As a matter of fact, when you just think about a human family, some people want a human family to be all the same. To actually think all the same thoughts. You know what I think would be a beautiful thing? Is if every family had in it a Republican, a Democrat, and a Libertarian. All three. If you don't have that, see if you can get somebody into your family that'll mix it up, okay? You see my point. The families that are all the same sound like each other, act like each other, and seem to have no differences of opinion. I don't know about you, but to me, they're just kind of creepy. They are, to me. I want there to be diversity in the family. Different kinds of opinions. Wonderful arguments. Significant conflict. All of that in our families creates us into the individuals that we need to be. Now I know I've probably shattered for some of you the idea of your beautiful family. But even though you think it's beautiful and I think you have a right to think it's beautiful some level it's dysfunctional and that's okay matter of fact we're we're dysfunctional here at this church we're a blessed mess and you know why i like that because every epistle for the most part in the new testament is written to a dysfunctional family First, second, Corinthians, Galatians, maybe not Ephesians, Colossians, the list goes on. The reason Paul's writing is because they have problems, and he's addressing the problems. So welcome to the dysfunction. It's called the family of God. The third thing about families is family members 
need each other. You need each other. You know that at a biological level. You know how you need each other. But let me say how important it is to need each other in the family of God. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, the writer of the book of Hebrews, whoever he is or, or wherever he came from, the writer of the book of Hebrews says, I want to make sure you hear something. Don't neglect the gathering together like somebody, some people are doing. Don't, don't get frustrated with your dysfunctional family to such an extent that you say, I'd be better off on my own having my devotions at home or out by Lake Monroe. Stop it already, says the writer of the book of Hebrews. Don't do that. You won't be a well-developed individual unless you gather together with the body of Christ, which frequently is dysfunctional. There's lots of reasons to be together. But among them is that you need to be reminded in the context of family of what is true and what is important. And let me put it the way Dietrich Bonhoeffer did in so many words. You need the faith of your brother or your sister. Because sometimes your faith is weak and you need their faith. And the family of God gives that to you. I'll never forget one occasion where a friend of mine that um, you would all know was going through a real, real darkness and difficulty. And he came to my house and I said uh, to him, let's, let's just take a walk, shall we? He said, I'd love that. So we started to take a walk. And he began to explain to me what was going on. And my heart was broken. I didn't want him to have to go through this. He didn't deserve to go through it. He was on the right side. And he was so down and so rattled that he started talking about himself and his self-worth. And he started talking about his faith. And finally, I, I interrupted him and I said, my friend by name, right now, what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to borrow my faith. Because I believe in you. And I believe in the God who loves you. And I believe he's your father. Just hang on to my faith, will you? My, my friend, we were walking full stride and he just stopped. And he just turned to me. And with tears in his eyes, he said, thank you. I just don't have any right now. See, you can get to that place where life is so hard and you are struggling so hard with your own sin or conflict in your life or issues in the church. You're going to need to borrow somebody else's faith. That's what a family is for. That's why you shouldn't neglect being together. 
Family members need each other, and, and not all families are the result of natural birth. You know that, right? There's a number of people in this congregation who have children that they've adopted. And they have placed those children under the canopy of their love and grace. The child didn't choose them. They chose the child. Here's something that we always ought to remind ourselves of our relationship with God and family. It's this. We are naturally born as creatures who have in us the image of God. But my friends, we're not naturally born as Christians. As a matter of fact, we're adopted as children of God. And it's by grace that we've been saved. In a way, my family is not the best representation of the family of God. Trisha and David were born into our family and we can't help but love them. If we had all adopted children, that'd probably be a better representation of the family of God. Because all of us are that. Or as John put it, not born of natural descent or by human decision or of a husband's will but born of God. Paul said it this way, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons. The beauty of adoption. If you've uh, been a part of one, hold on to it as an image of the family of God. Final thing is families are full of hope. Families are always looking ahead, right? You're always looking ahead to the next thing. You're always anticipating the birth of a child or a grandchild. You're always anticipating a graduation like this weekend. You're always anticipating a hopeful something. Families live that way. As one commentator put it this week, without the dimension of hope, life is meaningless. Life's meaningless. And John seemed to know that, and he said, let me tell you something about being a part of this family, being called one of the children of God. We have a hope that comes from the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Someday he's going to appear, and we don't yet know what we will be like, but we will eventually be like him. And we'll be able to see him just as he is. I know funerals, which is part of family life for me, are sad. But I wonder sometimes if we should just be clapping and shouting and rejoicing, at least during part of the funeral, because true life is, is coming to those who are part of the family of God. So I have three questions as you go, um, or as we go to communion, and, and it's, it's this. First question is, are you trying to go it alone? You trying to go it alone? Trying to be a Christian by yourself? 
let me say it as kindly but as bluntly as I can. It won't work. It won't work. I'm not saying you can't receive the grace of God individually. That I'm not saying. What I'm saying is, if you want to go it alone and be a Christian all by yourself, you're living an impoverished existence. And your growth is stunted by your own self-analysis. You need to be in a family in order to really grow in your faith. You need others. Second question. Are you frustrated with the dysfunctionalism? Let me, let me put it more directly. Are you frustrated with the dysfunctionalism of ECC? Well, good. Then let's get real and recognize that all families are dysfunctional and they disagree. And in the midst of that, as James says, like iron sharpens iron, so one brother and sister sharpen another. Stay with it. Don't quit. Third question. Do you need wisdom? And stick around. If you need wisdom, stick around. I guarantee you somebody right here, right now, has a word from you that is from God. Because we're the family of God. Beautiful and dysfunctional as we are, that's who we are. Let's pray. Lord, you've been gracious to uh, invite us into your family. You've adopted us as your dear children. We obviously don't deserve it. Um, and it's not natural. It's really an adoption. And we thank you, Lord, for the grace you've uh, given to us in Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. And we pray that this day you will encourage us with the connectivity of family and you will send us out to be the church of Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen.